This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome into another spectacular edition of Rhode Island's Podcast of Record, the Bartholomew Town Podcast. It's Bill Bartholomew here with you as I am for new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. And of course, you can find almost 300 episodes of the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, ripodcast.com, or wherever you may be listening right now. Today, we welcome for her inaugural appearance on the program, State Representative Brianna Henrys, and you'll hear about her happy accident that is getting elected to the House of Representatives in 2020 as a member of the Rhode Island Political Cooperative. We also get into her unique background in terms of employment and how that impacts her experience and uh, I guess her ability to conduct legislative business, to be quite frank, and um, you know, just get into Rhode Island politics in general, her perspective and shortly after being sworn in to the House of Representatives. So this is a fun episode. It's actually, you know, I've been trying to keep these episodes under 30 minutes. I've been telling people when 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 I book a guest or anything like that, I'm like, you know, we try to do a Rhode Island car ride back and forth. <laughs> so like 20, 25 minutes. This one, you know, we're closer to 45 minutes, but uh, well worth it here as Brianna Henry's representative Henry's, I should say, making her debut on the program and um, great to get your feedback about the show in general. You can send me an email anytime, Bill, at ripodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bill Bartholomew. And go ahead and join that Bartholomew Town Podcast Facebook group. We have some interesting discussions in that group, kind of on a daily basis. It's always something uh, fascinating. You know, I post post thoughts or news stories or sort of pr- provocative statements in there, and we get it going in the discussion portion of it and it's kind of fun you know it kind of reminds me of you know talk radio the format um of like wpro or whatever where people can just chime in obviously that's a lot of what social media is but it just feels like we're able to do something really special inside that facebook group with conversation and and you are exposed as a human being unlike twitter or instagram you know you're basically using your real name on there unless you're you know kind of a maniac and you have a totally fake profile which does happen of course but the B-Town Facebook group, that's there for you to join if you feel like it. Now, one last piece of housekeeping here. We are well into season four, and um, I got to be honest, we are seeing a tremendous response and numbers that we hadn't yet seen before, at least in terms of on an individual basis per episode, individual basis in terms of a day, you know, people going through the nearly 300 episodes and streaming them. So thanks a lot. I haven't spent any money on advertising or any of that nonsense. It's all word of mouth. So it's up to you to keep this thing going, I should say. And you can do so by you know sharing an episode in social media, talking about the show, um, if you're talking politics or Rhode Island media or arts or whatever. And um, you know you can also subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. That does help. You know If you're, if you're an Apple You just go to the rating portion and leave the desired number of stars. So far, we have received nothing but five stars. I don't, again, thanks so much for that. But um, you can leave one star if you want. If you think this is the worst podcast, not only in Rhode Island, but ever, here's your chance to chime in. And I'm not sure why you'd be listening at this point, three minutes into the episode, if you believe that. But if you do, you can go right there and leave one star. If you like the show, you can leave five stars. Um, Just trying to kind of, paint a better version of the infrastructure here. Um, I, I haven't hyped that up too much, but um, you know, I don't think it would hurt to kind of get this thing moving a little bit more in the in the PR sector, so to speak, as big shots say. You know, I'm not saying we're gonna go toe-to-toe with channel 10 here, but uh, you know, maybe we will actually. Take that back. Who knows what can happen? Things are changing. Media landscape shifting. And speaking of change, the Rhode Island House of Representatives, the Rhode Island Senate, 
politics in Rhode Island in general shifting, new Speaker of the House, new governor, and a lot of new faces representing communities and experiences that have been vastly underrepresented in our political sector. And Brianna Henry's right there on the forefront of that movement, um, which came to fruition in 2020 as a member of the Rhode Island Political Cooperative. So let's get right to it. Representative Brianna Henry's here on B-Town. You know, it's interesting because this is your first time on the show. And I mean, I'm sure that 90, well, I don't know, 90%, that may be completely wrong, but a lot of people who are listening right now know who you are, know your background, know your story and so forth. But there's probably plenty of people who don't or have just seen your name out there. So I guess let's start with the whole, hey, who who are you and where did you come from and 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 what do you stand for? All those basic things. And by the way, thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be on here and actually really enjoy your podcast. So thank um, you. it's really cool to actually be here. Uh, let's see. So about me, my name is Brianna Henrys. I am state representative in District 64 out of East Providence. Um, I like, it call, like to call it my happy accident of 2020. I never foresaw myself in politics, but somehow between a pandemic and a couple of encouraging friends, I landed here. I've lived in Rhode Island pretty much most of my life with the exception of the time I spent in New York. I am a trained and certified makeup artist and I was a licensed esthetician. So I actually come from a beauty and cosmetics world, um, and I've been in retail for a really long time. So uh, you could say I've probably been preparing for this for a long time. I didn't think that my experience in retail would actually translate well. You usually think of political figures being lawyers or people who have like almost like a lineage to politics, right? And uh, it comes to find out that being in retail actually set me up quite nicely for this experience. So um, I lived here uh, in East Providence now for what's like four years. And I've been active in several communities. I also work out of Pawtucket and I'm a theater teacher. So there's a couple of hats I wear if you're wow. keeping tabs. I also model and um, yeah, I do, I do a little bit of everything. There's kind of no limits to me as you can see from my campaign. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's super cool. So where in New York, were you in the city? Yeah, so I got to study out of Soho at Makeup Designery. And I lived in Queens while I was out there. And it mm-hmm. is probably one of my favorite life experiences that I've had. I'd probably second to running for office because this is a really unique experience as well. But yeah, I got to live in the city. I had a couple of friends out there as well, which made it even more worthwhile. But it was it was definitely something that helped uh, make most of who I am today. What part of Queens? I lived in two parts of Queens. Oh, hello. I called Sunnyside and Astoria. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sunnyside is what I called Sesame Street of Queens because of all of the brownstones out there. It looked like, you know, right off the set of PBS. And um, Astoria was just this really phenomenal, like cultural blender of a space that I really liked. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. I lived in in Brooklyn for I guess seven years and then Queens for three years in Ridgewood. But you know, Queens is such a beautiful place. It's it I think it technically is the most diverse place in the world. But you know, there's if you're talking Astoria, you know, you've got access to like multiple Brazilian restaurants. There's an amazing Brazilian market there, Rio market, and you've got amazing Lebanese food, and it's just it's like a melting pot of the world. It's almost like the airport 
like of 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 the entire globe is just like it like vacuums out into queens it's so interesting exactly that yeah so it felt like every time i would get off of um i'm if i'm remembering correctly the end train because i was the mm-hmm. last stop when i lived in astoria you literally felt like you were like in an airport an international airport because there were so many different cultures i remember the area that i lived in in astoria specifically had really great um greek presence which was yeah. awesome for me because i love greek food <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it is incredible, and and it's an underthought. I well, it's not underthought of. I mean, millions of people live there and go there, but there's, you know, it's it's not as hip or some people don't consider it the same way they consider Soho or Williamsburg, Brooklyn, or whatever. But Queens, right. man, if you want an education on the realities of the world, then go live in Queens for even a summer and just take a right. walk and and find yourself in random conversations and boy, will you, will you'll have an, an opportunity that, that you might not get anywhere else. Absolutely. I'm really fascinated by this idea of, um, you know, your background in, in, in cosmetology and being a theater teacher because there, and, and you mentioned retail, all of those things are fundamental in politics and, same with media. And, you know, there's a lot of people who, who say, well, the media, you know, it's it, or politics, it's all, it's all business. It's all, it's all in the books. But I mean, to me, it's minimum 50, 50, if not beyond that, in terms of how you interact with the public. And there are lessons that you learn in performance presentation and frankly, retail that you probably don't get in other elements of the workforce that you mentioned become oftentimes people who become politicians. I guess let's keep going with that. So what's talk about your theater background and, and, and how do you got into yeah. to makeup design? So I, in high school was a very, um, over the top flamboyant personality. Um, yes. and I'm still that person to this day. So I'm grateful that that stayed with me. I loved theater probably even since like middle school. That was when I first started doing theater. But uh, when I was in high school, it's when I really got to learn like the fundamentals and the techniques and really get into it. And I started to get some um, more major roles and stuff like that. So I I just had a blast with the expressive piece of it. Um, specifically, I love musicals. And for me, it was just an outlet to be anything I wanted to be. This guy was literally the limit. You got to play a character and enter a new world, explore all of that. So that actually, I think, kickstarted a lot of my love for my later career, which was makeup. And that's because in theater, you're being these other characters. And a lot of what I did in my day-to-day life was I could never leave those characters on the stage. So I wore makeup to kind of express myself in day-to-day. And I'm talking some serious makeup faux pas. We're talking like eyeliner up to the temples for, you know, (laughs) the makeup wearers on the, on the podcast, you know what I'm talking about? Like some of the stuff that's just like, so not, not good anymore um, was a lot of what I did. Glitter up to my eyebrows. Um, I definitely had what I call a drag queen aesthetic, which now I, you know, give myself props for having a an eye for. But it was one of those things where I continued to live that expressive, like over the top life. And when I was in high school, I didn't necessarily fare as well. I went to classical. Um, towards the end, I was kind of put in a spot where when I was going to college, I would be like on academic probation. And it was just one of those things where I've always had the curse of bright enough 
to like be in the conversation, to be in the classroom, but just didn't, didn't apply myself. I was too much of a talker. And um, it put me in a position where when I was considering college that I was kind of behind my peers. And while I was waiting to kind of jump into the, you know, academia aspects of college and all that stuff, my mom was the one who was like, Brianna, you do makeup all of the time. Why not create like a side hustle? Like why not have your, your craft become something that you can profit off of? Why not make it part of like, you know, an everyday thing. And I never thought of it that way because oftentimes when we have passions, we don't think of them as possibilities for, um, you know, profit or, you know, gaining anything. You just do it because you love it. And that was when I looked into makeup school. And when I did that, I realized really quickly, like, this is what I love doing. I love transforming things. I love creating things. I love being expressive. But even before makeup school, I had started in retail and I was like, as soon as I could have a job, I got a job. My mom was the type of mom that she would drop me off at the mall and say, all right, you can go to the mall with your friends, but you have to have three job applications when you leave. Like that's the type of like (laughs) work ethic my mom was about. And so I took that very seriously. You know, she was definitely the mom that hit you with the, oh, you want McDonald's? Do you have McDonald's money? And so you Mm -hmm. really quickly learned that in order to have your own, you had to get your own. And um, I took that took that in great stride and got my first job in clothing retail. And from there, the rest is history. I just really loved connecting with people. I still have clients to this day from my first retail job that know me and talk to me still. Like I've seen people go through life changes and experiences. And that's something that you don't always get in every field that you're in. Um, With retail, there's kind of like these inhibitions of like what could happen between two people kind of disappear because there's a product usually involved mm-hmm. and it's not so much about sales. Cause none of the positions I've ever had have been commission-based. So it wasn't about pressuring anyone into something, but it was really about meeting them where they were at with these needs and concerns they had, whether it was clothing or makeup. And it's funny because as soon as I hit the campaign trail, a lot of that translated to hearing the concerns of people So, you know, I would get to the doors and people would say, you know, I'm really disappointed with the way things are going. Like, I'm not a fan of the Democrats. And I'm like, yeah, me either. Like, I would have these moments with people and say, like, let's connect on that. Let's rip off of that. Let's talk about these, like, disparities. And how can we connect me as your neighbor from several houses down or just, uh, you know, across town? How can we have these connections and these moments and come to agree on some of these issues that are most commonly rights for people, right? When we talk about having accessibility to education, when we talk about having a really solid living wage, these are things that people can identify with. They might not always come at it from the same approach. They come from different places, but it's no different than when I'm selling a woman a red lipstick. I have to take into consideration a lot of things before I get her the right one. So a lot of the same things. Yeah. And what a valuable perspective to have inside the state house. And a lot of these issues that you mentioned, you say are rights issues, which I totally agree with. They're not even really political issues at the end of the day. I mean, they become politicized and and there's, I guess, yes, there's a spending. The one area you can say they're political is in terms of fiscal policy and somebody who's fiscally conservative versus somebody who's more of like a, an MMT progressive who's like, just dump it all in there and we'll get, we'll figure it out after and and we can keep printing the money. Like that's political, but the strategies aside, 
the end result is so fundamental and it's 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 almost sickening how we hear some things like living wage like yes small businesses can't go under if we if 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 we were to have a $20 minimum wage which is probably closer to the number that we really should have i get it there are small businesses that couldn't pay that but there's other ways to remedy that too through whether it's tax incentives or just consolidation of the workforce in certain places whatever it may be it's not it's not a give and take there's solutions that are more complex that a lot of people don't want to think to that next step they just go oh wait a minute if, if you go to 15 or 20 then i'll lose my business well wait a second maybe we can we can have both of these things solved here there Absolutely. is plenty of cash floating around in the space of mega wealth that is totally usable to supplement the average everyday person, no matter if you're a small business, medium-sized business, or someone in the workforce. thousand percent. I agree. I think that's, you know, another uh, aspect of my career that's actually helped me. Being a retail manager, you have to always, like, I think it's great that you brought up, you know, whether you're progressive, conservative, when we talk about these issues, they're really not, you know, it doesn't come down to like the sole bipartisan lens, right? We're looking at actually having conversation about solutions like these are we're talking about people's rights we're talking about people's livelihoods and it doesn't really come down to which party do you represent the only labels that should matter is a willingness to do the job and open-mindedness to kind of experience these conversations with these people um across the board um and also being solution-minded and that's something that i've always had to do as a retail manager you get all types of conversations around, oh, okay, well, you know, this didn't work out and this didn't happen. And oftentimes instead of saying like, well, too bad, that's your luck. I've had to be solution oriented. And while it may not yield in the most favorable, you give, you, you do have a little give and take in the sense of there will be some sacrifices made, but we have to make sure that those sacrifices are being made by the right people, uh, not yes. the people most marginalized. And that's, that's the thing that I think is where we get into like the splitting of the hairs, right? And that's where the partisanship comes in. You're like, okay, well, like you said, we can just figure it out after the fact and just go forth. Or we can sit here and count our pennies every which way and wait for the solution to like never come and deepen the problem. I think that's where the big thing is. Um, because I truly believe all the members so far, everyone I met in the GA, they really do have a heart to want to make things right in Rhode Island. We just all have a really vast difference of opinion and how that happens. And I think that's, that's some of the issue. Yeah, totally, totally agree with that. And it's amazing how the, 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 the state is so small yet so diverse and, you know, it's just so important to understand the nuances of South Elmwood, as well as the nuances of, um, you know, the, the area over by Alton Jones and West Greenwich and how there are those different perspectives. Very rarely does somebody come at policymaking with a mean spirited nature that I found. Yeah, there are some people I go, well, wait a minute now. The, what, you're not living in the same world as us, even if you right. think you are. But for the very most part, people in the General Assembly, they have a goal to represent their constituency and get things done to improve the state. And that collaborative approach to things, um, even with that give and take that comes from a retail environment or from any kind of transactional environment, I think that is, and I'm not talking about the Washington, D.C., like, you know, pork bill type of give and take, like actual Let's figure this out so it works for everybody because it's totally possible. This is nonsense. Let's keep it. Let's right. move it along. This is crazy. It's, let's go. It's, 
Yeah, it's really funny you say that because actually when I was on the campaign trail, like one of my lines was, imagine if politics was collaborative. And people resonated with that deeply. Like I kind of reminded people, like, and it's one of those things where, yeah, a lot of people categorize me as like very much in the progressive camp. And I have no issue with that. I just, I find that it totally shuts people off to what the possibilities could be. It doesn't mean that I can't understand a conservative ideal and in fact be side with it um it's it's one of those things that's like really tricky but yeah it's like what if it was collaborative like what if i could reach across the aisle and talk to the republicans or talk to the more conservative democrats and kind of come to a better agreement about what serves all the constituencies um something was pointed out that was actually really you know eye-opening for me even was we had just started uh we had met for the first time in this session as the black and latino caucus and I was talking to my good friend and Senator Cynthia Mendes, mm-hmm. and we were talking about how even in the areas as we are, you know, representing the Black and Latino um, representatives in the GA, we're still not reflecting entirely all of the communities that are experiencing disparities. All of our communities are very different. So you have everywhere from Newport all the way up until like over in the East Bay, um, East Providence area for myself and Cynthia Mendes. But then you have like our other representatives that are representing much larger disparities and marginalized folks in Central Falls and Pawtucket. And so that solution driven kind of conversation is going to be challenging because you have different perspectives coming in representing these different groups. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And even in South County, you know, which is often thought of as I look, I grew up in in South County and 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 went to Cherahoe and and then I lived in Newport when I first came back to uh to Rhode Island four years ago, whatever it was, five years ago. And uh, you know, there are it's a different animal. I get it. It's a different version of events, but there is a lot of marginalization that occurs in some of those South County areas. I mean, it is a very difficult place to be outside of the marching orders of, okay, here you go. Like you're going to be a straight, um, you know, person you're going to be, you're going to follow a certain set of rules. You know, if it, you're going to, you're going to wear certain clothes. You're not going to be particularly eccentric. And if you are be prepared to be hit in the face with a dodgeball at gym class while the gym class teacher says, Okay, great job by the person who threw the dodgeball in your face. So that right. happens. It's it there's there's a lot of nuances to this and if you only focus in in certain areas while you sh- those areas need a lot of attention, um you can lose sight of the long-term goal of just getting everybody to understand we all need to be collaborative and everybody in this state in this world but starting with this state just needs to have basic respect for other people. Right. And that's so crazy that that's not a, it's not a mainstream thing. I take you inside breaking news and the biggest stories of the day impacting Rhode Island on Instagram at Bartholomew Town, Twitter at Bill Bartholomew and inside the Bartholomew Town podcast, Facebook group. How do you like it? I mean, do you like the job? Do you, are you having fun? Do you like the, the, it's so weird. You're, you know, between the, the vets and Rick and, and everything for the general assembly this year, you're not able to walk into the, the state house and get that. Wow, feeling I would guess. I mean, the vets is nice, but you know, come on. Yeah, well, it's trippy being at the vets because it's actually where I graduated from, like high school. So being oh, back cool. there is kind of like this full circle moment of like, who would have thunk? Um, but yeah, I 
I am really enjoying the part where I get to be involved in these conversations, where I get to have these conversations with my peers and truly understand something outside of my own world, right? So, you know, I've lived in actual, actually several cities in Rhode Island, um, grew up in Warwick as well, mostly grew up also in Providence. And it's cool to kind of hear from the South County folks. It's cool to hear about what's going on um, in different parts of of Rhode Island and how these things are so nuanced. I'm also loving like finding out like how many things come down to legislation. Um, So I'm actually on special legislation committee and that's, you know, some people have mixed feelings about it. Some people think it's like, you know, um, it's not one of the more important ones, but you get to like find out like cool things. Like when you're talking about license plates right now and like finding out how much this stuff costs the state um, is really eye opening and really interesting. And so the nerd in me is really loving learning everything. The the perfectionist gifted kid burnout me is really struggling to like get things right. But I have to give myself grace and know like it's a lot to learn. So um, yeah, it's it's been really good. I've had a lot of really great support from people both in and out of the house, which is really nice. I think the biggest thing is managing full time job. Um, and part-time teaching with what's supposed to be part-time legislation, but feels very full-time because our problems are full-time, right? So dealing with the time management aspect has been challenging, but it's something that I'm like getting the hang of. Yeah, no, and that is something that is extremely, um, you know, we see, we saw with like Moira Walsh, who I think I'm pretty sure she was a full-time representative. And so, you know, now you're living in a very, very difficult financial space. Um, so you question how much anxiety and stress takes over your, yeah, you have the free time, but how much of that is spent in an anxiety induced moment? You're, Mm -hmm. but if you work full time, now you have less actual time for your mind to go to your legislation. So that's where the advantage of being like an attorney or, a mid-sized business owner comes in where you can just say, I, you know what? Uh, I think I'll, I think I'm going golfing today and then tomorrow I'm going to work on some bills and then, yeah, I got to do a couple of hours of work so I can make 900 bucks and then I'll, I'll, you know, but it's, that is an interesting, do you think that, that the legislature should be full time or paid more at least for the part-time service to allow you to have more flexibility in how you, you, you manage your own finances? Yeah. So as far as, um, the the pay goes, I mean, that's definitely something that can be up for a conversation. I haven't been in the role long enough to actually put like yeah. and quantify the value of the actual position, but it definitely should be something that could be looked at as full time. A lot of what we do, I talk to my peers all the time and I'm not the only one that works full time. Right. And so we have these conversations mm-hmm. around, you know, can't get behind on work and this that, and the other. I'm fortunate that I have a very understanding boss and I'm allowed certain flexibility in my schedule, but even then retail is never forgiving. And it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, a lot of what we deal with is ongoing. We get emails all, all day, all hours of the day. And the best thing you can do, or at least something that I'm trying to do is build a team and have, you know, assistants and interns because I am solely one person, you know, and having a team does another great thing in actually allowing perspective, right? So here we go again with the retail connection is that I've managed large teams for a long time. And so 
you have to be smart enough as a leader to be able to delegate properly and be able to understand how you can leverage strengths and, and also see your opportunities as a leader and then say, okay, here's where we can kind of better this. This is where we can put a system in place to allow this to be more efficient. So yeah, would it be nice if I didn't have to like <laughs> come up with a whole team to kind of help with the position? Yeah, but um, I don't know what that actually looks like. I'm not sure if it's something that Rhode Island can see themselves doing, but it definitely should be something to be considered. Yeah, the the delegation of work is so difficult for somebody who is, you know, at, at least for me, you know, I find it like I probably should have either an intern or somebody helping me at some level. And, you know, it's part of it's to be completely frank, part of it's the living wage piece. You know, I don't want to hire somebody and be like, well, you know, I I, I throw you a couple hundred bucks a week to, you know, it's like someone's going to be digging in and getting an email at 1115 at night. Like it needs to be at that to me, $20 an hour range. And, you know, we can't do that here yet, but, but at the same time, there's definitely something to be learned, a life lesson of letting go, especially, you know, I'm a Leo, you know what I mean? I mean, I put my name in the name of the podcast here, you know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> got to let it go at some point and it will be better. It will definitely be better for everybody's mental health and the product if you, if you're able to do that. So I commend you immensely for having the, uh, the vision to delegate and bring on interns and, and volunteers or whatever it is that you've got to work on your, your priorities. Yeah. I mean, myself, uh, Cynthia Mendes and, you know, TR Mac, we had these conversations and we're grateful to have each other. in this, this is one thing that I really enjoy. I knew both of them before office and, um, you know, we talk about how it's incredible that we have each other in this and how we don't know how the women before us or even leaders before us were able to do this and be in these spaces without that support. Um, but it's the main reason why we put out like, you know, our black history month fundraiser is that we are talking about being the best version of legislators that we can be while still representing so much of what our constituency looks like. I am the working class. I do work, you know what I mean? Like these are the things that, um, we're trying to bring to the front of the conversation is that so much of the hardship of having representation that looks like the communities we have is that these systems and the way that things are set up are not favorable to us. Um, it's one of those things where we're trying to make do with what we have. And it was the main reason why we decided to push for this. Like it's one thing we say in our, our fundraising efforts is, you know, we, we need assistance. We need interns in order for us to do the work and not just do the work, right? Because there's doing the work and then there's doing the work well. Right. In order for us to actually follow through on the promises that we made, we said we want to take PAC money. We're not getting lined up by like corrupt lobbyists. Like none of that's happening. We're really trying to keep our grassroots um, present in our campaigns. And that's the one thing that we're trying to get across to people. And we're very fortunate that we've had a lot of people understand that. Um, I've also had really great teams or people come forward and say, Hey, um, this is what I would like to do for you. This is how we can help. This is how we pitch in. I think calling people in to what we do is really important as well. Uh, so I'm, I'm open to <laughs> people who are willing to volunteer. I'm on the same page as you though. Like 
the the part that's difficult is I, you know, one of the first things I said when I was considering interns was I can't, I can't hire someone uh, without considering first the message that I campaigned on, which is a solid living wage. And if we're talking about, you know, the, the weight of this administrative work, looking at policy and, you know, working with me closely in this office, it definitely deserves more than that. So that's the main reason behind, you know, pushing pushing, pushing, pushing constantly uh, because we always joke around. We're like, yeah, part-time legislators, full-time problems. Like it's one of those things. Yeah. Very, very well said. You know, um, the Rhode Island political co-op, it emerged. I remember the first main press conference, the first like substantial press conference that took place. And it was Kathy Gregg and I were the only, and Steve Alquist, of course, you know, Steve Alquist, I mean, it's a given that he's at an event. I mean, that guy basically, I, I feel like if, in a cartoon, he would like morph out of the state house. Like the, the independent person comes to life and Alquist like morphs out of the walls or something. But, but I remember that first one and um, it was at the state house. It was when Lenny CEO was introduced and everyone was standing on underneath the rotunda. And it was interesting. Just Kathy, Greg and I were there. No, I don't remember 12 and 10 and this, that, and the other. It was almost as if to say, hey, you know what? This doesn't, this isn't going to make an impact. Come to find out you disrupted Rhode Island politics in a way that hasn't been done arguably since at least the 1980s with the, the liberal Republican females that came into power and even possibly the 1930s, the bloodless revolution when Democrats under TF Green took over the state of Rhode Island. You set things in motion in a way that made a lot of people go, huh, okay, we better, uh, we better step up our game here. And now going into 2022, you got to wonder, like, what's next? A, a gubernatorial candidate? I mean, where does this go from here? I think my favorite part, um, as much as coronavirus and COVID-19, like, as much as this has been such a deep tragedy for the nation and the world, really, um, mm -hmm. it's highlighted a lot of these disparities and a lot of these issues. And it's allowed us to, like, this moment of pause, this moment where we've had to stop, this moment where we've had to reflect has allowed us to look at our systems and say, huh, we can do this better. It's not to say that, you know, all that's been done with the co-op is the only way to do it. In fact, it's crazy because uh, I, I watched Tiara and Cynthia running, right? Like I said, they were friends of mine. So I'm like watching them run. I'm like, yeah, go get it, girl, go get it. And then the co-op comes to me and they're like, hey, so we have this idea. And I'm looking at them like, why would you want someone who, and my joke is I sling lipstick for a living. So why would you want me and what would I bring to the table? And so it was something that I struggled with that person. They asked me, but so much of what the co-op did was question very simply, why not? Why, why can we not rethink what politics looks like here? The idea that you have to know somebody to know somebody or that you have to have lineage or, you know, be a very well-off lawyer and so on and so forth or whatever, you know, tropes that come behind the political scene here. We kind of disrupted that and said, like, actually, real people can run for office and real people can make a change. Real people can bring real people issues into the state house. And it was something that was so simple and I think was you know, in a lot of ways, I don't think that the founders, I don't think Jennifer Rourke, you know, Janine Kalk and Matt Brown and um, all of them really foresaw what this would actually look like. I mean, I think in their head, they were like, yeah, like, let's do this thing. Let's like see it through fruition. But the timing that we had with the, the pandemic 
that pause, that moment to actually talk to people and like highlight where we've gone wrong and say, listen, this is the perfect time to uproot and uplift these like terrible systems we have in place. This is the perfect time to assess the leadership that is in place, the perfect time to assess who is representing us and how we can move forward, especially because we're in the middle of a global pandemic. It was, it was unreal. And I, I, I'm so thankful for that because I, to be honest with you, I don't know that I would have probably sought out office unless I had um, the political co-op backing me. Yeah. It's going to be fascinating to see where it grows. I mean, I watched very closely district 39 where Megan Cotter was taking on Justin price who look, Justin price made a more of a name for himself this year in a negative way. You know, that, uh, I mean, look, look, the guy, I, the guy's a clown, you know what I mean? Like I have no problem saying that. I mean, most again, that that's, that's a, a very limited example to me of where somebody is, Regardless of party, it's like, what's this guy doing? And right. Megan came very close there in Richmond Exeter, which is a, a right-leaning district. You know, I grew up in that region. There's a lot of people who are passionate about the Second Amendment and and other issues, even in in that that maybe the progressive slate would not necessarily be aligned with. But she came very close. That's what I'd like to see going forward. Like how how can the progressive or or the co-op, frankly. Because it's a different brand than even like the Regenberg, Sam Bells. It's a very specific brand that's more united, you know, not to knock, right. not nothing against them, but it's a different brand that shows, I think, more of an outsider versus insider approach. Absolutely. And You're looking at a ragtag group of outsiders, a bunch <laughs> of people. None of us have the same background, which is really cool to say. Um, you don't have a bunch of, you know, political insiders. A lot of us learn together. We, you know, prior to me jumping onto the co-op, a lot of the policy and the platforms was crafted as a team, as a mm -hmm. unit. And that's not to say there's not disagreements, but here we go back to like this collaborative idea that you can have different walks of lives, different um, desires and goals of people, but still come down to a unified message and work that platform. And that's exactly what the co-op did. I I commend Megan so much. She's a fellow classicalite. Um, and he was in a very tough district. That is a very hard district to canvas. It's a very hard district to kind of like get to the doors. She would just tell us stuff like, oh, like the fact that you got so close, like, you know, it, it means that we can push even more and put our efforts where they need to go and know that we can probably do it again on a bigger scale. Um, I probably say like going forward, we see the need for more house candidates and that's probably something that you'll see uh, next, next run. And um, you know, when you're talking about the house, that's 75 seats that you have to, you know, find some type of majority in and, you know, that'll probably be some of the next move is looking at that and being able to work that. Cause they, we, I think we did a really great job with Senate, but I think there's lots of other spaces too. Let's not forget the municipal level city council yes. also, you know, sit in a space where they need to be revamped and kind of flipped over because, you know, we're talking about smaller, smaller government quote unquote, but it makes big big differences in these communities. So you'll probably see across the board quite a bit um, from the co-op. Very interesting. Yeah. Municipal governments cannot be overlooked. It's, it is, I mean, there are so many decisions that are made at that level that impact people's lives on a daily basis that, Hey, you know what? Fresh ideas are going to really help build things from the ground up. Um, last question, you know, you found yourself as 
and I'm, I'm even sorry to bring this up and I almost didn't. And I'm then I, but I was like, let me just, let me just do this. Um, you know, part of it's the old guard trying to defend themselves. Part of it's a lot of just misunderstandings and, and, and literally misunderstanding and ignorance in some cases. And some of it's just shock value, but you've been attacked by members of the right wing media here in Rhode Island, uh, on a personal level. And, uh, why, what's that like? You know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's, yeah. it's sad. <laughs> it, I mean, I think sad would probably be the most appropriate word. Uh, it was, it was really disappointing. Um, in fact, in my conversation with, uh, Gene Belisente, I had said to him, he's like, I, I grew up watching NBC. 10. Mm-hmm. I, you're, you are a household name and, you know, I never saw in a million years that my imagery or like my, my character would come out as being judged by someone like you. And, you know, it was what it was. I think we kind of got over it. I don't even think like, to be honest with you, from my perspective, I don't think a lot of us even wanted to make a big deal out of it. Mm-hmm. It was like, after the fact, when we're kind of sitting with it, unfortunately, when you are a woman of color, especially like sitting in office, especially when you're challenging leadership, a lot of criticism is going to come your way and you almost kind of learn to let a lot of it roll off your back. You kind of just say, okay, whatever, like you're going to be called names. People are not going to agree with you. People are going to have their opinions, you know, and that's, that just comes a little bit with the job, but by no means does that mean we accept those criticisms. Right. So I think for us as a group, what was most disheartening was it was, an actual moment of celebration and joy for us when we took those photos. Um, like I said, I have a background in modeling. And so my good friend, Langston Bowen, who is a phenomenal photographer, he's been featured in like Italian Vogue and so on and so forth, agreed that he would commemorate this moment for us of us being in office and us taking these seats. We had races that looked like they weren't going to be won. People had doubts about the three of us. Um, from all different spaces, Tiara took out Harold Metz. You know, that was huge. Cynthia took out Bill Conley, finance chair. Like it was, these were things that were not, not predicted to have happened because we were three women um, that had no background in politics, that had no like, quote unquote, right to like come in and do that. But we like uplifted the whole thing. So we wanted to celebrate that um, more so for ourselves. And as someone who teaches, um, especially young black and brown girls, it was important for me to have that imagery for my students, for them to see that they could. Because I had imagery that allowed me to think, okay, I can do this. You have the Ayanna Presley's, you had Cori Bush that um, took her seat after being persistent. You had um, Shirley Chisholm. You had all of these figures that came before us and said, it can be done. And so I think we were just trying to carry that torch, but instead we were called scorched earth. We were told that we were aggressive, that we were calling to fight. And these are just tropes that as black women, we get tired of hearing because at the end of the day, yeah, we're here to fight, but for all the right reasons. And I think my favorite thing that's come out of it, a line that I believe Sierra Mac came out with when we were having a conversation and kind of recapping everything that happened was we don't scorch earth, we blaze trails. And that was so important for us was to take all of what was happening, negative or whatever, and just say, you know what, we're just rolling with the punches and we're going to continue to go forward. 
we're not going to let this like stop us. I think a lot of people probably thought our lashing out or like our fighting back was, oh, they're just like whiny, get used to it. This is part of the job. Being abused or being told like, or being bullied is not any part of any job. So I think for us to kind of set the precedent of like, don't mess with us was kind of important. But furthermore, it was about showing future generations that don't take it from anyone. Don't don't feel like you have to back down, that you will continue to blaze trails. You will continue to move forward. And there will be people that will try and tell you otherwise, but it doesn't matter. So, you know, it was a it was a dark moment, but we got through it. <laughs> yeah, those photos are awesome. They're beautiful and they're powerful and they're exciting. So I don't know how anybody could see them otherwise. I, I genuinely that one baffled me. You know what I mean? And, and, and I would assume that, you know, again, yeah, I, I think Gene, you know, is. I haven't talked to him about it, but my guess would be looking back, reflecting on that. He would probably go, Oh yeah, I got sucked into to something that is stupid. You know, that right. I don't, I don't need to go there. I'm Gene Balistetti. I don't need to do that. That's nonsense. Yeah. So. I mean, funny thing I always say, if you're going to come at me, come at me for my policy or come at me for broken promises. You don't need to come at me for my fierce poses. I know they're good, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, expect that, you know, it's, it's only uh, incited more from the three of us. I mean, we stick together really closely because we, you know, that solidarity is important for us, especially in this world, which is kind of pinned up against us, but we, we have more to come. We're excited. Um, I can't say that we haven't thought of like a couple more concepts to maybe agitate people with, but yeah, it's, it's just a little taste of like what to expect for at least the next two years with us and maybe, maybe longer. I hope there's entrance music when you guys are back in uh, in the state house as each as each rep or senator comes in. You know, it's like WWF style. You know, bam, light. You know, on the jumbotron. Yeah, I think I actually when Cynthia first won her uh, seat, I think I called her like the finisher or something like that because <laughs> it was just so insane. Like watching like all of these races, it, you know, that night, even after primaries, we were all like on the edge of our chairs, like we're on Zoom trying to like carry each other on and just say like, oh my God, we, we did this, like we did this thing. And it was huge for us across the board, even with some of the losses that we had, like even with like Lenny's race, you know, to show how close you could get to taking out such great power in the state. It just, even those losses were victories for us because we said, oh, okay, well, we're just going to go back to the drawing board. We're going to figure out how to do it next time. And it was incredible. Like it was a movement and so many people like had their faith restored because they finally saw people representing people. Rhode Island's podcast of record, B-Town.